0: Welcome to Talks with Trivium. My name is Michelle Schaller. I'm the Senior Director of Behavioral Health at Trivium Life Services. Trivium Life Services is a nonprofit organization headquartered in Council Bluffs, Iowa. We have locations in Iowa, Nebraska, Idaho, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Services vary by location and include long-term support services, such as supported community living for individuals with intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities, and or complex mental health diagnoses. We have intensive residential service homes that provide community-based services for adults with severe and persistent mental illness and or substance use disorders. We also provide a range of behavioral health services, including your traditional counseling mental health services, employee assistance programs, student assistance programs, outpatient substance use disorder treatment, including partial day hospitalization, as well as domestic violence offender intervention. Our goal in Talks with Trivium is to introduce you to some of those services and the people providing them. We'll discuss topics related to mental health and seek to continue to normalize mental health as a component of overall health. Welcome to Talks with Trivium. My name is Michelle Schaller. I'm the Director of Behavioral Health at Trivium Life Services. I'm here with Jeff Krenzer. He's the clinical director at Arbor Family Counseling. How's it going, Jeff?
1: Going well today. Yeah, I think what we wanted to do was get to know each other a little bit further and help our listeners understand a little bit about our journeys with mental health practice, EAP service, and anything else that comes up.
0: I love that. So we're based out of Nebraska and I'm a LMHP, a licensed mental health practitioner, What do you got going on, Jeff?
1: I am also a mental health practitioner. So I am a licensed independent mental health practitioner, have been working with children, adults, couples, families, schools, organizations as an EAP provider for over 20 years. Nice. Yeah, it's been a while.
0: So I've been licensed for quite a while, but I really hadn't been providing clinical counseling services I worked more on the management business side of things, spent some time working in child welfare and then for managed care, lots of experience reviewing medical records, peer review type work and leadership and found myself with a new organization to me, Trivium Life Services, as their director of behavioral health. And I office out of one of Jeff's locations here in Omaha, Nebraska, and I thought, I'm here, I'm licensed, I may as well do some clinical work. So that has been a really interesting experience over the last six months or so, just kind of getting in where I fit in and figuring out how to do the work.
1: Absolutely, yeah, you kind of started with an idea, if I remember, I think I would like to see some clients.
0: Ah, I remember the day. Yeah,
1: here you are, you've traversed a lot of ground. How's it going?
0: It's going, it's going really, really well. I know I've said to you a few times that counseling is my favorite part of the day. I really enjoy working with clients. I didn't know that about myself. I'm pleasantly surprised. So every day truly is different. It's obviously really valuable and feel-good work most of the times. Of course, working in counseling or with people in general, there's days where it's really, really hard. And I'm reminded some days like, wow, there's just a lot of tough stuff in the world that people are going through and, you know, showing up to work and school and living their lives, but also managing these really, really difficult things. How do you, how have you done that for 20 years? How do you manage?
1: Not all at once. I had to do it all at one time or all in one day or one hour. It would not go well, right? So you, you grow and learn and remain open to The opportunity to be with people, even if it's something that is chaotic and upsetting or just very intense, being present, being still for those things. And, you know, helping people is not just something, you know, that you do individually in the office, the helping profession. It's, it's bigger than me, bigger than you. It's a whole movement to just help people. And, um, In your role, you are already supporting so many people that help so many other people.
0: I do like to help the helpers. In so many ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's interesting. That's one of the topics we're trying to dive a little further into is um, employee assistance programs, right? How those can not only help employers with their workforce and help them, you know, promote wellness and good work-life balance, but... EAP is there to help helping professionals, too.
0: True. It has been a really interesting experience providing some of those EAP counseling sessions. Just really having to be ready to take on whatever walks in the door. The referral information is is pretty sparse. You know, I'm getting the name, the age, maybe a one to two liner on the situation. People aren't writing me a whole book on that intake paperwork. It's kind of like peer issues traumatic work experience and you know i need to show up in that space ready to hold that space for them and and ready to hear and process and have something of value to say which reminds me you know one of the things that i've struggled with as i've gotten older and as a professional and personally is this idea or d- desire to have all the answers right to have the right thing to say and i've had to get comfortable with allowing myself to know that I don't always know the perfect thing to say in the moment. I don't always have the perfect answer or intervention, but sometimes literally just being with them there in that moment and having picked up the phone and having made the appointment is so helpful.
1: Yeah, you're right. The, um, idea that you're ready for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That will be disproven time and time again. So staying loose, uh, staying available to, adapt and kind of grow and learn with your client, I think is important. Even with an employee assistance program, if that's the, uh, you know, type of counseling that someone is seeking out, right? We're not the advice department. Like I'm not here to tell you what to do.
0: I love that. Not the advice department. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people will seek, you know, advice that's uh, available.
0: Does that cost extra?
1: (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or they're seeking a referee sometimes. Right. Mm. And I'm like, those are two different things. What we're here to do is try to find a solution, but it needs to be your solution. And that's where, uh, what you're sharing, right? Being present and just being available so that someone can kind of unpack what they need to unpack, but also figure out what they're going to do with it.
0: I think one of my favorite things about a therapeutic space is that as people in the world, there's not a lot about our day-to-day interactions that really can be just about that one person. We're all trying to get along with others, be a good friend, be a good partner. We're making sacrifices. We're not always getting what we want and we're not expressing our our true emotions and feelings in a therapeutic setting. That person can come into that room and just have that full time to themselves to say, this is how I really feel. This is what I really think. and. Ideally, there's there's no judgment in response.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Remaining non-judgmental and, and that's a practice, right? We sure. don't just wake up and say, I'm going to be non-judgmental all day or not this year, right? <laughs> it's a practice. You know, it's extremely helpful, but we have to keep working on it. Accepting people for where they're at. Also a practice to say, I'm going to be all accepting of all things for all time. Not likely going to happen. I'm going to work on accepting this situation for what it is. You've started fairly recently. You've worked in the EAP realm, Mm -hmm. right? So you are doing it. I'm doing it. As a mother. I am. As a spouse. Yep. Have there been any challenges for you sitting in the In the room, right? Oh, man. When people are coming in. And again, these can be, right, students using a student assistance program, employees using an EAP, or just...
0: Sure. I do tend to see a lot of students. I've worked a lot with children ages, I mean, as young as six, but really mostly falling into that 10 to 15 category. And I have two children of my own, a boy who's 13 and a girl who is 17, And one thing I can say that I definitely have taken away just from that experience of of counseling, those kids, I've literally gone home and just said to my kids, could you guys please be nice to people? Holy cow. Like, could you, when you're going out into the world, if you see someone who's hurting, could you be a resource? Could you be a soft place for them to land? Because man, there is a lot of pain out there. There There's a lot of, there are a lot of lonely kids and people. And I, what I'm hearing again and again in my time with, with kids is that they need friends. They need caring friends.
1: Yep. The connection, the relationship piece, there's all the things that we can kind of seek outside of us, all the things that we might try to, you know, bring into our lives, um, without kindness, happiness, connection, you're really running a behind if you don't have some of those things. So yeah, that's a nice thing to do. Offer some little help and assistance from your own kids.
0: There's this quote I heard. I, of course I can't place when or who or where, but it's something to the effect of if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Sure. I heard that early on in my motherhood journey and I've really tried to live by that. Well, I, I do parent a little differently than some of my peers, certainly differently than my parents did. I have open conversations with my kids. I'm not an authoritarian, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. And now we're going to do it and do it or else. Um, I'm not a clear your plate type of mom, which doesn't go over well for everyone. And that's okay. But I don't want to be forced to eat my vegetables that I don't like. So I try to just treat my people like they're people.
1: That's interesting. I'm wondering, too, since you, you know, relatively new to seeing people in the clinical setting. Have you been asked questions like, are you married or do you have kids or how old are your kids?
0: Huh. Nobody has asked me if I'm married. I do wear a wedding ring, so maybe it's not an issue
1: Yeah. It's interesting as, you know, if you work with couples, if you work with families, um, if someone's coming in for parenting advice, there can be a little bit of that hesitation when you're going in to see a helping professional. Like, what do you actually know about this? Okay, I'm assuming you have a license, right? I'm assuming that you have, you know, read up on some of these things, maybe have some experience, um, a willingness to learn.
0: But have you been in the arena of motherhood?
1: Right. Of parenting. Yeah. Do you have this? Have you been through this? And, um, you know, that's an interesting, you know, dichotomy, right? Like, I think, of course, there's massive benefit to have, you know, had a shared experience. Maybe not, you know, obviously the exact same, but I get that a lot. Have you ever been married are you married it's like yes i am and i have yes i've been married a long time do you have kids yes and you get asked at different stages and i think it's a welcoming thing for people to be able to hear a little bit about who you are sure where you are where you've been but at the same time right i think anyone starting out who wants to be in the helping profession certainly who wants to provide clinical services it comes with experience. You totally. just have to keep going, keep working with people.
0: I do want to say yeah. that you don't have to have kids to be able to help with behavioral concerns right, or right. any of that. I saw a lot of that conversation when I was working in child welfare. I did have very young kids. I was a mom, but a lot of my peers didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. And we were working supporting families who had taken in foster children. And a lot of the foster moms would be like, but you don't even have kids. <laughs> and, and that was very almost hurtful to people who were helping um, support them because they were still showing up and doing the work. They were Mm -hmm. still supporting them, you know, driving them to those appointments as needed and and answering those late night phone calls and listening to their feelings and concerns. So I don't think you have to have kids to be able to help. There's some maybe unfair credibility that comes with that. For sure. And probably the same is true for marriage.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think people want to just be heard. Be understood and if you're able to listen and understand you're already doing you know half the work the rest is joining and let's figure out what you want to do about what's going on in your life and being there to help see that through
0: I have a question for you yes this is me asking as a clinician so I've been working with EAP clients And what that typically looks like is, you know, I get the referral and it will say they're entitled to, let's say, three to up to 10 sessions. I get somebody to show up for the first appointment and we have what I think is a really, really successful session. We've connected that person. They have cried through their issue that they came to talk to me about. Mm -hmm. Um, They have processed it. We've talked through it. I've held space and showed support and they never come back. Is it any less successful or... Did I, I don't know, did I do a good job or was that not a job well done if they only come for one session? I don't know how to feel about it.
1: I understand. It almost poses more questions for you. and I want to know, I want the next installment, right? I need to hear how you're doing, right? I want to keep this going. I want to help. Of course, it's hard to say in any specific situation, but the nature of EAP referral sometimes, you've put off that first phone call. There's been a lot of buildup. There's been a lot of maybe avoidance, maybe just um, gently deciding either in your mind or unconsciously that, you know, you don't want to take that step. And then when the step is, you know, made, sometimes it is overwhelmingly cathartic, right? Like it's this like, oh you know, I've been waiting so long to do this and I had so much to say and, you know, you were there and present and I'm good. That's kind of (laughs) the response
0: that I got for one particular. I don't know that she was good, um, (laughs) right? but if she seemed extremely relieved. So I didn't know 50, 50, if she'd call for another session, but
1: yeah, it's interesting. And again, right. You you always want to know, and that's where, you know, it's good to, of course, have follow up. And if someone hasn't come back or if they've no showed, right, you definitely want to be reaching out and seeing what is going on. But yeah, that's not entirely uncommon to just kind of go and do it. And then it's not sure. Think of, you know, gyms in January.
0: Man, I was thinking about the stigma that keeps people from wanting to make that first phone call. Thinking about a client situation where um, she, a student had told me that she'd gone to her counselor at school three separate times and been given the information for Arbor Family Counseling. Hmm three separate times. And that's how long it took her family to make the phone call for counseling. So what do you think happens? Why does that happen? Why does it take so many times for somebody to be referred for them to finally pick up the phone?
1: That does happen. Right. And I think like we were just discussing, you know, life, people are busy. People are stressed, sometimes overwhelmed. And if a child is struggling at home or at school, not always, but typically that can be an indication of other stress in their lives, environmental stress. So the whole family system might be struggling. And again, that's taking that non-judgmental approach, assuming that all kids love their parents and all parents love their kids and we can all do better and try harder. That's kind of uh, the way I look at it. So, I mean, when, when it takes a while to finally make the call yeah sometimes the issue right you almost wish why didn't you call three months ago six months ago we don't have the benefit of controlling that it's when the call's made when they're ready uh, when the parents are ready you know when the transportation lines up all of it when it happens it happens and so just being available and prepared for when that does occur and you know you mentioned schools and that is a Big question for a lot of our referral sources from schools. Every time we have meetings with um, the various school districts and we open those up to, you know, try to get as many people who can be there, school counselors, right? Mm -hmm. Administrators, the ones that typically are making the referrals. And that is a very common question of theirs. Like I refer all these people and I don't know how many of them actually came in. And that's because, again, it's confidential and it's, it's private. Sure. But, you know, we do strive to try to at least follow up if it is, uh, if we're given permission to, but that is a very common thing with schools. We have asked and asked and asked, and they still haven't made the call. I think
0: it's fair to think about, you know, the fact that so many of us people, we don't do what we're told to do or what we know is the right next thing to do the first time. So many times. Oh, yeah. So we kind of know what we need to do, what we're supposed to do. And it's just yeah. like, oh, I'll get there when I get there.
1: Yeah. And then um, are there any situations that you foresee in your balance of clinical work and all the other helping professionals that you're supporting? And you feel like there's going to be any kind of.
0: I do feel well balanced right now. Well balanced. Today I, do. I was
1: making the juggling uh the juggling motion with my arms, right? Because that's a lot. You got a lot of balls in the air.
0: Yeah, I do. It's good stuff. So that helps a lot. Um, But of course, there are days when it just seems like every hour something is coming up, there's something going on. And then on top of that, I know I've got a difficult session or or I didn't Mm -hmm. know I was going to have a difficult session and I have a really difficult session. And so I do have some good practice making space for myself to unwind and relax at home. I consider myself to be an extroverted introvert. I can perform well. I can have the conversations, but really what gives me energy at the end of the day is going home and being by myself or with my people, right? My kids, my husband, and I have no problem making that happen or making that a priority or asking for exactly what I need for my family. So I have worked hard to model that and I'm seeing the benefits of that. We're a hugging family. So if I'm having a hard day, I'll ask for a hug. If my one of my children sees me and sees that I look down, they'll ask me if I want a hug and vice versa. They'll say, oh, I need a hug. I had a really just a crap day or I'm in a bad mood. So I think it's important Good. to ask for what you need.
1: Definitely. You'll have many people that will come to you over the years. Assume that you have everything in perfect balance. Sure. At all times, that everything is right. Well-maintained and I, you know, I always like to, um, kind of challenge that myth with anyone that's uh, coming in like, Hey, I'm a person, you're Mm -hmm. a person. We all have struggles. We all have our lives. Um,
0: notice I did say the balance is good today.
1: There you go. Right. (laughs) Right. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about your journey as a clinician. I think that's exciting. Of course, I've got, uh, Tales to tell from
0: oh, I'm the, sure you do. The
1: the years I've I've been at it, and um, you know, it, it really is a you know something that you feel honored to be able to do. Um, I had a colleague long ago who was almost one of a few different mentors, and would sit in on some of the sessions that she was providing. Um, she did a lot of substance abuse group work, which I would sit in those groups and kind of just observing and trying to pay attention and be present. And there was just a lot of stuff flying around. They were very intense. There was big emotion. Even after really difficult, clearly difficult group sessions, she would always say, don't you just love our clients? Mm. And I was like, I don't even have any clients yet, right? (laughs) But that's always stuck with me that no matter what's going on, it's having that positive regard. You know, being thankful for the opportunity, yeah, to sit with people, like you said, hold space, and uh, just to help.
0: I love that story. I love the idea of really honoring and acknowledging how vulnerable our clients have to be to come and and show up in those spaces and rooms and to share the things that are truly hurtful to them, um, and to share their hopes and dreams. And it it's such a vulnerable space. So. It, it makes me happy to know that my peers and myself, we, we really do respect that and want to show up and offer our full attention and really show up the best we can to support them.
1: Absolutely. Well, great hearing a little bit more about where you're at. I'm sure we'll pick it up next time and uh, see where the compass takes us.
0: Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. All
1: right. Yeah, thanks, Michelle.
0: You can find more information in our episode notes about Trivium Life Services, services we provide, and additional resources specific to this episode. You can find us at www.triviumlifeservices.org. Trivium is spelled T-R-I-V-I-U-M.
1: To learn more about Arbor Family Counseling and Employee Assistance Programs and Student Assistance Programs, visit us anytime at www.arborfamilycounseling.com